This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 69. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And if you're watching TV, you're angry for sure. Today I'm announcing a surge of federal law enforcement into American communities plagued by violent crime. We'll work every single day to restore public safety, protect our nation's children, and bring violent perpetrators to justice. We've been doing it, and you've been seeing what's happening all around the country. Yep. You've been seeing it on your TV, and on your phone, and on your laptop, all around the country. And in Washington, D.C., when he disgustingly drove peaceful protesters out of the streets with tear gas so he could have a photo op. And you've been seeing it most recently in Portland. Disturbing video shows the agents beating a Navy veteran with batons and then dousing him with pepper spray when he says that he was trying to engage them in a civil conversation. That Navy veteran, Chris David, is joining me now. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for being with us. Just walk us through what happened that night uh, as you were there, I guess, trying to speak to the uh, what officers or, or or troops? You tell us what happened. Well, yeah, that was actually the the, the primary reason that I went down to this protest since it was my first one. I wanted to see if I could have a civil discussion with these federal agents, officers, um, and ask them why they felt that it was okay what they were doing. That I felt that they were violating their oath to the Constitution, and. Uh, so what I did in, in preparation for that, I put on my Naval Academy sweatshirt, my Navy wrestling hat, and my backpack, all my CB hats, under the presumption that they would respect that and maybe talk to me instead of treat me as another protester. That didn't work out at all. No, that did not work out. And we see the video of, of what then happened. Uh, you just You just turned away. Um, I mean, you had a signal for them as you turned away, but you walked away from them as they were beating you. Tell us, what, what is the damage here? Uh, well, just a bunch of bruises otherwise, but I, they did uh, pretty much smash my hand up quite a bit with their pawns. So I've got a couple fractures in this hand. One of them's pretty serious, so I'm going to have to have surgery. Navy veteran Chris David was beaten and doused with pepper spray by federal authorities dispatched to the protests in Portland, Oregon. Heads are getting busted in Portland. Even if you're Chris David, who is now known worldwide as Captain Portland for his fortitude. He was beaten by federal police. Federal police sent in by Trump and wearing camouflage. As a combat veteran I know, 
Camouflage is worn so you can't be seen. But our police shouldn't be hidden. They should be visible and trusted. They don't need camouflage. And policy leaders should know and emphasize that. Instead, Trump is now using them as his personal political army. Trump says he'll now send federal law enforcement agents into Chicago, Albuquerque, and Kansas City, all cities with mayors who are Democrats. And 14 mayors have called on Trump to stop deploying federal officers to major cities that have seen protests in recent months. But Trump isn't listening. He's rolling them out, and he's calling it Operation Legend. To carry out Operation Legend, federal law enforcement agencies will be committing additional resources to these cities, including FBI agents, DEA, ATF, the U.S. Marshals, and the Department of Homeland Security, HSI, teams. To date, we have sent over 200 federal agents to Kansas City. We are directing a comparable a number of agents to augment Chicago's existing task forces, and we are providing an additional 35 agents to Albuquerque. That's Attorney General and Chief Trump enabler Bill Barr, who doesn't care what the mayors think, doesn't care what protesters think, doesn't care what the Constitution thinks. And in a letter to Barr and Acting Homeland Security Chief Chad Wolf, the mayors voiced their, quote, deep concern an objection to the deployment of federal forces in U.S. cities. So he's cranking it up. After the catastrophe of Washington, D.C., and the tear gas and the Bible stunt, the military said no. Retired generals slammed him. Current generals pushed back behind closed doors. State governors refused to give him National Guard troops. The military said no to Trump. So he went around him. He's not using them. He's using Homeland Security instead, which has an acting secretary who was not Senate approved, who never served in the military, and is all too willing to execute the Trump political agenda. I don't need invitations by the state, uh, state mayors or uh, state governors to do our job. We're going to do that uh, whether they like us there uh, mm-hmm. or not. That is ridiculous acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf, another civilian politician who never served in the military, playing general, playing tough guy, playing for the cameras and for President Mayhem, and another acting secretary. If I were in Congress, I'd vote no on his nomination just for that garbage. But of course, there won't be a vote. They'll let this hack stay in his job and continue to politicize our cops and our troops for his own and Trump's advantage. This is not what America is supposed to look like. It's what fascism looks like. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And attention must be paid. The National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, you have threatened to veto it because in the bill, and this is supported by Republicans as well as Democrats, it would rename army bases named for Confederate generals. Now, this is a bill that funds military operations. It gives soldiers a pay raise. Yeah. You're going to veto no, that? because they'll get their pay raise. Hey, look, don't tell me this. I got soldiers, the biggest pay raises in the history of our, Understood. Of our military. 
I got soldiers, brand new equipment, brand new jets, brand new rockets, brand new 2.5 trillion. I did more for the military than any president that's ever had this you're office. Veto this because thing? I think that Fort Bragg, Fort Robert and Lee, all of these forts that have been named that way for a long time, decades and decades. But the military says they're excuse for me. this. Excuse me. I don't care what the military says. I don't care what the military says. At least President Mayhem is finally admitting it. Finally, after all this time, there it is on our TV. Trump's admissions, Trump's police, Trump's henchmen, Trump's lies, Trump's madness, Trump's mayhem. We're all watching lots of TV this year. Whether it's the old-fashioned way or on our phones, we're all watching TV. We're all watching the news, of course. We're watching Netflix. We're watching Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Amazon, and the rest. And we're watching our reality TV president. Our lives and our politics and our TVs have never been more closely intertwined. We watch the clips of the president daily. He watches the clips of himself daily. And we all watch each other watching each other daily. President Mayhem is a creature of the worst depths of our society. He's a political swamp creature that rose from the toxic waste of our culture, our politics, and our history. He's a creature of television. And it's getting old. Throw away your television. Make a break, big intermission. Recreate your supervision now. It's a repeat. It is getting old, and it makes you want to throw away your television, because Trump is a creature of television. But our guest in this episode is the godfather of television. He's created some of the greatest shows of all time that were more than just shows. They told the stories of people, and they told the stories of America, race, class, sex, sexuality, patriotism, misogyny. The shows created by Norman Lear told the story of America. The funny, sad, inspiring, infuriating, evolving, changing, bumpy story of America. And Norman's own story is the story of America. A great American success story, but one with its ups and downs, its pain and its adversity. Norman Lear was born in New Haven, Connecticut on July 27, 1922. When he was nine, his dad went to prison for three years for selling fake bonds. When he was 20, he dropped out of college to join the Army Air Corps during World War II. And he served in combat in Europe as a radio operator and gunner on a B-17 Flying Fortress bomber with the 772nd Bombardment Squadron, 763rd Bombardment Group Heavy of the 15th Air Force. He flew 52 combat missions and was awarded the Air Medal with four oak leaf clusters. Norman's story is the story of television. And as you watch that television, especially now, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And Norman Lear is understandably angry. A true icon and a dedicated patriot 
the legendary creator of All in the Family, Maud, Good Times, The Jeffersons, Sanford and Son, and over 100 other TV shows, has defined American TV, culture, and race relations for generations. He's also produced classic films like Stand By Me and The Princess Bride and Fried Green Tomatoes. He's a decorated World War II that flew combat missions over Europe and a trailblazing philanthropist and a tenacious civil rights activist. Decades ago, Norman founded People for the American Way to defend constitutional values like free expression, religious liberty, equal justice, and the right to meaningfully participate in our democracy. Norman Lear's fought for America his entire life, all 98 years of it. And he called me last week with his hair on fire. He wanted to talk. He wanted to talk to me. And he wanted to talk to you because he's pissed. And coming up, you'll find out why. We've got to see a change in the White House. That's the first thing that rushes to mind. I don't know how to describe our leader. And the, I haven't heard the expression in the media for a long time, but, but that same leader was always called all the years I was growing up, the leader of the free world. We don't hear that expression that much, but the president of the United States was bigger than just the president. He was the leader of the free world. And uh, I don't know how to describe who lives there now and, and uh, who doesn't earn the respect that the president should earn of the American people. In advance of his 98th birthday, it's Norman Lear, extended and candid like you've never heard him before. If you care about America, you've got to hear this conversation. Norman joined me via Zoom to talk about Bountygate, Trump, Biden's VP pick, Bloody Marys, and the secret to a good life. It's a conversation about our times, our politics, our future. And it's a conversation about life. And of course, his favorite drink, it's a good one, and his first car, it's an epic one. But before we sit down with a true American master, like a child on the floor looking up at our grandparent, we got to flip through the channels real quick. You can use your DVR or think back to the days of the old bulky remotes. And if you're old enough to the days when you actually had to get your butt out of your chair to change the channel, because there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. Back in the day when Norman's first show hit TVs, there were really only three big networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC. And in the summer of 2020, similarly, our primetime lineup is dominated by the big three. The big three firestorms dominating our airwaves from coast to coast. The virus, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the 2020 election. But like in the old days of TV, there's no pause button. There's no rewind. There's no DVR. There's no stopping the programming. The big three flood our airwaves, fill our TV guides of life, and dominate the ratings nationwide. And within that big three, it's not the mass singer that's dominated our ratings. It's not This Is Us or The Bachelor. It's not NCIS or Law & Order SVU. It's not Sunday Night Football. It's not Tiger King. No, it's one of our three painful, ongoing, seemingly never-ending reality shows. It's the highest-rated show of 2020 worldwide 
by far. It's the show about war, medicine, politics, life, death. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It's our ongoing global war against the virus. And these are numbers Nielsen can't even keep track of. Over 15 million cases worldwide now, equal to the entire population of Somalia or Senegal. At least 620,000 people are dead worldwide. That's equal to the entire population of Louisville, Kentucky. Gone. Brazil, India, and Russia continue to remain on top. And now South Africa is surging with almost 400,000 cases. But none of them can touch the U.S. Even though President Mayhem is finally encouraging people to wear masks about six months too late, summer's going fast. And so is hope for a change in the direction of our numbers. Thanks to President Mayhem, the Stephen Botchko of the coronavirus, and a wide range of national and local leadership failures, America is still strongly on top of the worst Nielsen numbers chart in the world. The U.S. is the Simpsons of the coronavirus. By far the longest running, most recognized, but least funny show in the world. The U.S. now has more than 4 million confirmed cases. And we've finally done it. We've finally done it. After weeks and weeks, the number of cases has now surpassed the entire population of the city of Los Angeles. Just in time for our conversation with Norman Lear, who spoke to us from his home in Los Angeles and Hollywood, the U.S. now has more cases than the population of every single city in America except New York. And 1,100 Americans are dying daily. Let's put that in perspective. It's about four times the number of Americans that die daily on average in World War II. On average in World War II, 220 American service personnel died every day and nearly 6,600 every month for the 1,364 days that America fought in that war. And we're doing four times that every single day. And 145,000 Americans are dead total. The number of American dead is now equal to the population of the city of Patterson, New Jersey, or the city of Rockford, Illinois. And now, after the Memorial Day rush to reopen, and a few weeks ago, when every state was open, the direction is reversing. And states are all finally admitting they reopened too early. And after a rockin' Memorial Day nationwide, Labor Day next month is going to look a whole lot different. And even the most dedicated... Trump-supporting Republican governors are now singing this song. Nine states are reversing, 13 are pausing, and it's a big disastrous mess. The Bahamas is banning Americans. So are at least 32 other countries, ranging from Japan to the entire European Union. We can't even go to Canada right now. We might as well frame our passports for a while. No European vacations anytime soon. So warm up that RV. Or maybe just your camping tent. Because some of you can't even travel interstate right now. It's going to be a whole lot of camping in the backyard this summer, myself included. Which isn't all bad, except for the bears and all. But I'd rather race the bears and raccoons right now than try to go to Florida with DeSantis in charge. 
From the time the pandemic started, I've told you, there are two kinds of state leaders. One, the kind that are trying to contain and defeat the virus and win the war, and the second group that's trying to kill the rest of us. And that includes Governor of Missouri, Mike Parson. Mike Parson is the Republican governor of Missouri, and Missouri has about 530 new cases a day now, and there have been 1,100 deaths across Missouri. And this week, Governor Mike Parson shared this. These kids have got to get back to school. They're at the lowest risk possible. And if they do get COVID-19, which they will, and they will when they go to school, they're not going to the hospitals. They're not going to have to sit in doctor's office days. They're going to go home, and they're going to get over it. And most of it all proves out to be that way if you look at the science of it. Maybe you should tell that to the family of 13-year-old Anna Carter from Fort Sill, Oklahoma. We told you about her tragic story last episode. Or maybe Governor Parson can tell that to the family of 11-year-old Daquan Wimberly of Miami. He died. So did a 9-year-old girl from Putnam County, Florida. Five kids, 17 years old or younger, have died related to the coronavirus just in Florida alone. Governor Mike Parson is a fool that is unfit for leadership. And his recent performance follows a long line of shows that have flopped this year. If he had a TV show, it wouldn't even be on Fox. Probably not even on One America News Network. He's below public access. He's basically just Facebook living it. But regardless of what network his show is broadcast on, the theme song will be a memorable one. Here it is, the intro song to the Governor Mike Parson Show. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane While people behind me are going insane I'm an asshole, I'm an If we're on a network, it'd be in prime time. Right after spreading the news with Ron DeSantis and before late night with Louis Gohmert. And a new AP NORC poll found that only one in 10 Americans think schools should return to normal operations this fall. That number's fallen fast. And that one in 10 does not include Foo Fighters frontman Dave Grohl. Maybe not a guy you'd expect to jump into this debate, but as the son of a teacher, he did. He penned a powerful piece in The Atlantic talking about his experience entitled In Defense of Our Teachers, and he also posted a reading of it. Remote learning is an inconvenient and hopefully temporary solution. But as much as Donald Trump's conductorless orchestra would love to see the country prematurely open schools in the name of rosy optics, ask a science teacher what they think about White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany's comment that Science should not stand in the way. It would be foolish to do so at the expense of our children, teachers, and schools. Every teacher has a plan. Don't they deserve one too? My mother had to come up with three separate lesson plans every single day. Public speaking, AP English, and English 10, because that's what teachers do. They provide you with the necessary tools to survive. Who's providing them with a set of their own? America's teachers are caught in a trap set by indecisive and conflicting sectors of failed leadership that have never been in their position and can't possibly relate to the unique challenges they face. I wouldn't trust the U.S. Secretary of Percussion to tell me how to play Smells Like Teen Spirit if they'd never sat behind a drum set. So why should any teacher trust Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos to tell them how to teach, 
without her ever having sat at the head of a class. Maybe she should switch to the drums. Until you've spent countless days in a classroom devoting your time and energy to becoming that lifelong mentor to generations of otherwise disengaged students, you must listen to those who have. Teachers want to teach, not die, and we should support and protect them like the national treasures that they are. Dave Grohl is right. Teachers must be protected. But I do not want to hear Betsy DeVos's ban. But it was good to hear Dave Grohl sounding off. He's right. Every teacher has a plan, and they deserve one too. Teachers want to teach, not die. If he turns that into a song, it'll be a hit. Because one in four teachers could be at risk from the virus if schools reopen. So nine out of ten people are right to be cautious. Not just for our kids, but for our teachers. But if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to our special episode with Anya Kemenitz. It's episode 57. She's the amazing education expert from NPR. And she laid out the nine things schools must do to reopen. And most schools can't do them and can't reopen. And at least four of the 10 largest school districts in America are choosing remote learning only. It's wild, right? If you have kids like I do, you probably don't even know what the hell you're going to do in a couple weeks. But the good news is that our kids will be with us. And that really is good news. Remote learning is hard as hell. Harder than almost anything I've ever done. But it's also amazing being with my little guys every day. And we're all in it together. We're all riders on the storm, for sure. But right now, we got to do more than ride. We just got to take it one day at a time. This is it. This is it. This is Straight ahead and rest assured, you can't be sure at all. That's right. We got to take it one day at a time. And coming up, we'll talk to the man who created that hit show, the original and the Netflix reboot. And like all his other shows, it was one that took the nation by storm. And there's only one thing spreading faster in the U.S. this summer than the virus. It's the hit show of the summer, the last dance combined with the Super Bowl, combined with Big Bang Theory. And it's definitely more popular with the WWE SmackDown and Hannity crap. It's the stupid. Not the virus. Not Shark Week. Even more popular than those. A hit among mouth breathers everywhere. The stupid continues to spread rampantly all across America. All the people who end up famous on TV for all the wrong reasons. All the America haters who refuse to wear masks. The gun nuts who bring rifles to protest. The couple outside their mansion waving their guns at peaceful protesters. And two U.S. senators who can't tell the difference between black congressmen. You can't make this stuff up. It's like a skit from the Jeffersons. Every elected leader posted their own tributes to civil rights legend John Lewis after his tragic passing. But Senators Marco Rubio of Florida and Dan Sullivan of Alaska were very special. They posted tributes to Representative John Lewis and aimed to include photos of themselves with the civil rights icon. There was just one big problem. The photos they posted were of Representative Elijah Cummings, who died in October, not Representative John Lewis. Rubio tweeted this, It was an honor to get to know and be blessed with the opportunity to serve in Congress with John Lewis, a genuine and historic American hero. And then he tweeted a photo of himself 
and Representative Cummings, not Representative Lewis. And here's what Sullivan wrote. It was an honor to have served alongside John for a small portion of his impressive career of service and to have joined him at the opening of the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, a years-long effort of the congressman. Sullivan wrote that on Facebook with a photo of himself and Representative Cummings outside the museum. Rubio even made the image his Twitter profile picture. Now, about 20 minutes after Rubio posted the Cummings photo, he deleted it and replaced it with a video of himself and Lewis at a Martin Luther King Jr. event in 2017. And he wrote, earlier today, I tweeted an incorrect photo. Sullivan didn't even address the mistake. Instead, he removed the photo and deleted all reference of being with Lewis at the museum opening. Nice. Very nice. Sullivan and Rubio would have been good buddies with maybe Norman Lear's most famous character ever. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Archie Bunker. Archie would do quite well in today's Twisted GOP. CBS News said that Archie turned the angry white male into a cultural icon. Archie Bunker was Fox News before there was Fox News. And the actor, Carol O'Connor, who played Archie Bunker, said, paraphrasing James Baldwin once, the American white man is trapped by his own cultural history. He doesn't know what to do about it. O'Connor went on to say that Archie's dilemma is coping with a world that's changing in front of him. He doesn't know what to do except to lose his temper, mouth his poisons, look elsewhere to fix the blame for his own discomfort. He isn't a totally evil man. He's shrewd, but he won't get to the root of his problem because the root of his problem is himself, and he doesn't know it. That's the dilemma of Archie Bunker and the dilemma for so many people in this country right now, especially Trump supporters. But even All in the Family eventually got canceled. Lots of TV shows get canceled. More senators should get canceled, and Rubio and Sullivan would be a great place to start. And there's another show that's ratings are tanking faster than sponsors are running from Tucker Carlson. It's the Secretary of Defense Mark Esper show over at the Pentagon in a place that changes leaders more often than American Idol changes judges. Ratings are plummeting. And so is confidence in the man that many behind the doors of the Pentagon call Yesper. And it's been four weeks now, four weeks since the news broke about the Russian bounties paid to kill American troops. And still, no condemnation of Putin by President Mayhem, no slamming of bounties by other nations, no acknowledgement at all, none. Don't let it die, people. We can keep it alive. We must keep it alive. Remember, Trump lied, troops died. Trump lied, Troops died. Remember the hashtag, share the hashtag, and tell people to remember. We need open hearings now. They're essential, and they'll get good ratings. Look at what the impeachment hearings got. And over 5 million people watched Mary Trump on Rachel Maddow's show last week, a record. You can go back and listen to my interview with Maddow for more on how she lands big interviews and how she preps for them. That's way back in episode seven of this show. We also talked about Chuck D, pina coladas, and fishing, and how she didn't even have a TV herself when she started her show. But despite that, her show's numbers continue to climb. And unfortunately, so do another series of numbers. Well, we're moving on now. We're moving on now. 
the Jeffersons were moving on up. Unfortunately, so is the coronavirus inside the military. Because cases near military bases in the U.S. and abroad are posing a huge new test for the military. American officials are trying to contain the spread of the virus in its ranks while logistical problems like relieving troops overseas. The New York Times had a good breakdown. More than 20,000 American service members have contracted the virus now. An infection rate in the services has tripled in the past six weeks as the U.S. military emerged as a huge source of transmission both domestically and abroad. This is the same thing that happened with the Spanish flu. And cases are rising the most on military bases in places you'd expect. Arizona, California, Florida, Georgia, and Texas, states that have all seen surges in their confirmed infections. At a base in Okinawa, Japan, the Marine Corps has reportedly got 100 cases, which is pissing off all the local officials. And in war zones in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria, already flooded with unreported cases, U.S. troops now have to contend with outbreaks within their ranks. In the early days of the pandemic, I talked to Operation Inherent Resolve spokesperson and my friend, Army Colonel Miles Caggins, who was serving in Iraq at the time. We talked about what the military was and wasn't doing to fight the coronavirus within its ranks in a combat zone and beyond. That's episode 51 from back in March when we predicted the kind of problem that the military is having right now. Colonel Caggins is extremely candid and breaks it down. Unlike Secretary of Defense Esper, who hasn't really been available to the press in the last two months, Barbara Starr at CNN and others in the press corps have been all over it. Now, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, says we do have a requirement to be transparent, and the medium of doing that is the media. But neither Milley nor Esper have answered an on-the-record question from the press in over 45 days. Not even to talk about casualties, which, despite the virus, continue. Because you probably didn't know it, but an American soldier died in Syria this week. A U.S. soldier died in Syria on July 21st during a security patrol, but, quote, not due to enemy contact. That's what the Joint Task Force said. So a top general in Iraq during a Pentagon briefing, won't provide any details about what happened to the service member. They can't even know basics behind a troop death. Nancy Youssef, the excellent Wall Street Journal national security correspondent, was asking that question on Twitter, and she pressed it. She said they're not asking for anything more than a brief description, and multiple people at DOD told them it was a vehicle rollover minutes after that briefing. But the Department of Defense is still not providing basic info. It's been a very rough summer at DOD and especially for Jesper. However, the big budget, the Defense Authorization Act, did pass, which did include changing the names of bases named after a Confederate general, and it passed with a veto-proof majority. They passed $740 billion in funding that would remove the Confederate names from military bases. It would also give troops a 3% pay raise. It was bipartisan, veto-proof majority of 295 to 125. And even though he's threatened to veto the bill over the Confederate name change, he can't stop it now. The Marine Corps did have to stop their marathon for the first time in history in Washington. Lots of stuff is shutting down. And it's unfortunate and tragic and preventable. Because under proper leadership, the Department of Defense and Department of Veterans Affairs could have been America's cavalry in the war against the virus. We've talked about this in episodes past. Instead, they're part of the problem. In the early days, the DOD could have been ahead of the curve. Same with VA. 
back in March when they had PPE shortages. But guess what? They still have PPE shortages. Yep, don't believe the spin. Vets are still getting pounded by the pandemic and shortages and failed leadership. And reporters have been talking about it. Steve Bannon, the excellent reporter at Stars and Stripes and himself a member of the Maryland National Guard, tweeted, I talked to a handful of nurses from the Department of Veterans Affairs who say the agency has still failed to be able to provide corona testing for its employees. Abby Bennett over at Connecting Vets is hearing the same thing. She tweeted, beginning again to hear from VA staff facing issues with PPE and getting tested for COVID-19. So quick reminder, if you're a VA employee or patient experiencing issues related to the pandemic, her DMs are open and she promises to protect your identity if you're concerned about retaliation. But the virus is hitting our troops hard and our enemies are celebrating and it's continuing to hit our veterans. And my friend Phil Carter from Rand had a tweet that underscored the magnitude of the problems and the impact. He wrote, imagine how many of society's safety nets have failed to result in this headline from Van Nuys, California. Los Angeles veteran delivers his own baby in the car he and his wife were living in during the pandemic. Here's the crazy story from Fox 11 in California. Hello. We brought diapers, baby wipes. LA County social workers checking on a newborn. Little Gabriel here already has quite the story, starting with his birth in this SUV, which was parked in this homeless encampment off Sherman Way, where mom Caitlin and dad Caleb have been living. Dad actually delivered the baby, telling us all about it via Zoom that night from the hospital. His head came out first. Uh, then I saw like his arm, he shot his arm out. I was holding the back of his head and his neck. And then with my other hand, I kind of like just like had it there. I didn't know what was all going to happen. But he like grabbed on, like one of his hands grabbed on my finger and he kind of like just pulled himself out. Caleb Harris served in field artillery in the armed forces until 2014. He and Caitlin were going to community college. Then COVID hit. They ended up living out of the vehicle because without a laptop, he couldn't attend online courses. So the GI Bill Veterans Education Money, which was helping him go to school and with some living expenses, vanished. Even with a job, they couldn't catch up. And now they were in a hospital with a brand new baby. If there was ever a validation for a program in California called Project Room Key, this was it. Governor Gavin Newsom in California had $550 million set aside for buying, not leasing, motels. And that's where the family ended up. The baby was healthy, and so was the mom. Dad has a job now, and what they needed was just some breathing room. And the story ended well for them. But for too many others, it hasn't. The latest L.A. homelessness count numbers are scary. Families needing shelter and help have risen by 39%. There's huge financial pressures on low-income families, and it's going to get worse. And VA medical centers in Texas and Arizona are now transferring patients to other hospitals to make room for COVID-19 patients. The waves are coming, and they're already here. Active cases at the VA are up 407% since a low point in June 3rd. Deaths are up 47%. Hospitalizations are still low, but so is the number tested. They've still only tested about 414,000 people since the whole thing began. New York does that in about six days. They've got 32,000 total cases, 6,000 active cases, and 1,800 patient deaths, and 41 staff deaths that we know of. 
That's just inside the VA, because half the vets in America don't even use the VA. Many are dying in nursing homes and hospitals and at home. And as we've covered before, you can't trust the VA. Wilkie lied, vets died. Wilkie lied, vets died. And he lied again. Wilkie's a liar, just like Trump. And he hides from the real press, just like Trump. So where is Wilkie? Where is Wilkie? That's the hashtag we've been using all year long because Wilkie rarely makes himself available and rarely does one-on-one interviews with actual press. Now, in fairness, he's done two group calls in the last week, but he's setting a pattern over and over again. He uses right-wing media to defend Trump and politicize the VA. You may remember back in March, he went on Breitbart and warned about socialism. But if you look for him on your TV, you probably won't find him anywhere. Message came back from the great beyond. There's 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. Like most Trump cabinet members, Wilkie's MIA when it comes to real news and real accountability and real hard questions. Whether it's on this issue or the scandalous testing of hydroxychloroquine on dying veterans. And last week, Wilkie did an interview again with the right-wing network OWN, One America News Network. Now, OWN, or OWN, has described itself as one of the greatest supporters of President Trump. Trump himself promotes the network all the time, and they love promoting falsehoods and conspiracy theories. They're so far right, they make Fox look like Bernie Sanders. But they love Trump, and they love VA Secretary Wilkie. Well, the good thing is that President Trump is the first president since the 1890s who recognized the scourge of veteran suicide. What? What did he say this time? Another lie. President Obama signed an executive order to improve access to mental health care services for veterans. And in 2015, he signed the Clay Hunt Suicide Prevention for America's Act. I know, because I was there along with John McCain, Nancy Pelosi, and every network in America that was broadcasting it live. Wilkie calls himself a student of history, but he doesn't know his own agency's history. I was there at that White House with then-VA Secretary Bob McDonald, John McCain, Tammy Duckworth, and others when Barack Obama signed the Clay Hunt Suicide for Veterans Bill. Now, nobody's done enough, and Obama never did enough, but it's a lie to say that nobody has done anything but Trump. Anybody who's spiking the ball on suicide is way out of touch and just trying to score political points. It's another reason why Wilkie is failing weekly, daily. He's failing bets with COVID. He's failing bets with Agent Orange. And he's continuing to fail women veterans because there was more breaking news this week. One in four women patients reported sexual harassment at the Department of Veterans Affairs. One in four. One in four women VA staff also reported harassment. So a quarter of every patient or staff member has reported harassment. That doesn't even include all the ones who haven't reported it. And acting Deputy VA Secretary Pamela Powers said sexual harassment is not pervasive at VA. Quote, the data doesn't show that, she said. So what percentage does it take to make it pervasive? I think 25% is pretty pervasive. But Powers is doing what they all do. Political hackery. And Wilkie is a highly partisan hack, more than any VA secretary we've ever seen. And he's still way below the radar, most in Washington and in the media. Remember, as an aide to Jesse Helms, he referred to gay people as, quote, weak, morally sick wretches. Those are his words. 
You may remember Wilkie also defended the display of Nazi swastikas on VA property, and he tests hydroxychloroquine on dying vets. This is America's VA secretary, everybody. And then, of course, there are the state veterans' homes, which he refuses to take responsibility for, despite the fact that he gets funding for them. And in Holyoke, Massachusetts, a place we've been watching, the families of veterans who died due to the COVID-19 outbreak there are now suing. They're seeking $176 million through a class action lawsuit against the home's leadership. The $176 million figure would send $1 million to each of the families of the 76 Soldiers Home veterans who died from COVID-19. And the remaining $100 million would cover punitive damages and be available to the 80 additional veterans who contracted the virus at the home. So even though veterans continue to get hit hard by COVID-19, and even though Vietnam veterans suffering from Agent Orange are particularly at high risk, some still don't get it. The Senate voted this week to include in the NDAA a Senator John Tester amendment that would force the VA to expand benefits for more Agent Orange-linked illnesses. It's critical, and props to Senator John Tester of Montana, and this will benefit thousands of vets. And the vote went through 94 to 6, but six voted against it. Six senators voted against support for veterans facing Agent Orange-linked illnesses in a bill that was already $740 billion. They couldn't throw a couple nickels and dimes in there for Vietnam veterans facing Agent Orange. So the vote was 94 to 6, and senators actually voted against it. And here are their names. Let's make them famous. Senator Mike Brown, Republican of Indiana. Senator John Kennedy, Republican of Louisiana. Senator Rand Paul, of course, Republican from Kentucky, Senator Rick Scott, Republican from Florida, and of course, Senator Mike Lee, Republican of Utah, and Senator Ted Cruz, Republican from Texas. We know this crew, same old crew of assholes, and we see you, so make them famous, folks, especially Rand Paul. You can always count on Rand Paul to be on the wrong side of an issue, and one day, maybe he can get his own show. We can call it Assholes with Rand Paul, but until then... The other big show of the summer, and likely the biggest show of the fall, is coming soon. The 2020 election is coming, and the conventions are only one month away, and they'll likely be the highest rated thing on television, and so will the debates. But it looks like the debates are now in limbo, too. The first presidential debate is only two months away from right now, but they're in limbo. Because all three presidential debates and the lone vice presidential debate are supposed to happen on college campuses. Big problem. The whole virus thing. But it was announced this week that the vice presidential debate will be held with an audience in Utah. At the University of Utah in October, it's going to be significantly smaller because they're going to try to have some social distancing. But it's a go. Now, presidential debates were hosted in an entirely empty studio in the 60s, but candidates over the years have pushed for live studio audiences. You may remember the final debate of the Democratic Party was held in March with Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, but had no audience at a time when much of the country was still under a stay-at-home order. But Republican-led Utah is among the states that have largely reopened since and have seen a rise in the coronavirus cases. And it'll, of course, be Pence versus Biden's soon-to-be-named VP. We should all know who that is soon in the next couple of weeks because the Democratic convention is August 17th and the Veep Stakes rolls on.
So we'll have three big shows this fall, three presidential debates, and the first one is scheduled to be at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana on September 29th. The second was supposed to be on the University of Michigan campus on October 15th, but they backed out last month. The president, I think smartly, cited the scale and complexity needed to make the campus safe for students in the fall. And so that one has been moved and is now scheduled to take place in Florida. It's going to be in Miami, Florida, because you know Florida is always down to take on some more virus risks, right? Because it's not like there aren't millions of older people already down there watching every single Norman Lear show on repeat on TV land, like my in-laws. Shout out to Laney and Wiggy, hang strong down there. But Florida is getting a debate. And the third and final one is scheduled to be at Belmont University in Tennessee on October 22nd. And if they all fold, I'm sure Liberty University or some other crazy place will take them. We might not have football, but we'll have debates in some way, in some form, and it'll definitely be a hell of a show. There is some good TV out there. Still good TV. TV that celebrates the helpers. And that's always the theme of this show, especially now. This is the greatest time we'll ever see in our lifetime for helpers. The greatest need we'll ever have for helpers. And for heroes. And there's a new group of TV stars, breakout stars that emerged this week in Portland. A very strong group of helpers stepped up. And it's a group we told you to watch out for in this pod a few months ago. That's the sound of thousands of moms in Portland singing, hands up, please don't shoot me. They're protesting, and they're standing out in front to protect protesters. They're helping. They're helping the protesters. We told you moms are powerful. Go back and listen to our Mother's Day special pod with Moms Rising founder Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner for more about the organizations and issues that make moms a massive political force in Portland and beyond. It's episode 58, and it's a good one. Because moms are stepping forward. Moms are the helpers. Moms are the heroes. And they're putting on a hell of a brave show. The moms are on the front lines. The activists are on the front lines. The doctors are on the front lines. And the teachers are on the front lines. Our elders are on the front lines. And so are the storytellers. The great shows are timeless. And the great leaders are as well. At its best, America is a hit-making machine. The place that makes great shows like MASH, Seinfeld, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad. Our television shows are one of the most successful American exports in history and one of our best faces forward to the world. And nobody has created more of those faces for America than the great Norman Lear. Lady Godiva was a freedom rider. She didn't care if the whole world could. Joan of Arc with the Lord to guide her. She was a sister who really could. The country was falling apart. Betsy Ross got it all sold up. Norman Lear is one of America's greatest storytellers. And the folks around him have great stories, too. On February 18th, 
1943, just five days after the Marine Corps began recruiting women, a young Bernice Frankel went in to enlist. The Women Reservist Organization was so new that the Marine Corps hadn't even created the necessary paperwork, so they enlisted women using U.S. Navy paperwork. And on February 20th, 1943, Bernice Frankel joined the ranks of the Marine Corps as Private Frankel. As a part of the enlistment process, Frankel underwent multiple interviews and personality appraisals, and one male interviewer described her as frank and open, but also, quote, argumentative and over-aggressive, quote, without being too cocky. A handwritten note on the assessment sheet ran, officious, but probably a good worker if she has her own way. After basic training, Frankel served as a typist at Marine Headquarters in Washington, D.C. In June 1943, the Marine Corps accepted her transfer to the Motor Transport School at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. She said she offered more value to the Marine Corps in this duty based on her past experience. And she then worked as a truck driver and a dispatcher at Cherry Point, North Carolina, between 1944 and 1945. She honorably discharged at the rank of Staff Sergeant in September 1945. Later, she would change her name to B. Arthur. And B. Arthur would go on to have an incredibly successful acting career, best known for her Emmy Award-winning portrayal of Maude Finley on Maude and as Dorothy on The Golden Girls. B. Arthur, who started as Bernice Frankel, started out as Maude Finley, an outspoken, middle-aged, politically liberal woman living in suburban New York with her fourth husband. Maude stood for women's liberation, she always voted Democrat and advocated for civil rights and racial and gender equality long before her time. Norman Lear had said that of all his characters, Maude was the one most like him and most like his wife. Maude was a fighter who stood up for what she believed in. She stood up for people who weren't white, who weren't privileged, who weren't straight, who weren't in power, just like Norman Lear does. <laughs> Norman Lear is a man who deeply understands the pain and the spirit of America. He understands righteous anger and how to turn it into positive impact. He purchased a copy of the Declaration of Independence and put it on tour across America for 10 years to educate young people. He's a Kennedy Center honoree, a recipient of the National Medal of Arts, a Peabody Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, and an inaugural inductee into the Television Academy Hall of Fame. He's won five Emmys and a Golden Globe. He was also named number one enemy of the American family by Jerry Falwell. He made it onto Richard Nixon's enemies list and was presented with the National Medal of Arts by President Clinton. Norman is wonderful, kind, generous, wise, and mad as hell about the state of our country and the leadership of our president, and with good reason. And ahead of his 98th birthday, the Hollywood Titan talked to me exclusively from his home in Los Angeles. I've known Norman for almost two decades, and I'm humbled and honored to call him a friend and a mentor. Ever since I got home from Iraq and started IVA, he's had my back. He's given me advice. He's hosted me in his home. He's connected me with his friends. He's heard our stories. He's had our back. And he's shown me the way. He's shown me how to be an artist an activist, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a father, a grandfather, a citizen, a veteran, and an American. Angry Americans continues our groundbreaking focus on the fighters on the front lines of the three storms pounding our country, the virus, 
the protests, the election. Norman Lear is an American respected and loved worldwide, a true creative genius, a true patriot, a true keeper of the American flame, and an iconic angry American. He's a guest that shaped America's past, is shaping our present, and will forever shape our future. And he's always been a leader that brings the four eyes that define this show to every single thing he creates. It's the integrity of Maud. Hello? No, this is not Mr. Findlay. It's Mrs. Findlay. Yeah, Mr. Findlay has a much higher voice. It's the information of Sanford and Son. I will not tolerate these outbursts. And you will restrict your inquiry to the matter before the court. Well, that's what's, that's what's wrong with the court, Judge. A black man ain't got a chance down here. I'm black. Well, you the judge. That don't count. <laughs> it's the impact of all in the family. Now I suppose you're gonna tell me that the black man has had the same opportunity in this country as you? More, he's had more. I didn't have no million people out there marching and protesting to get me my job. No, his uncle got it for him. And it's the inspiration of good times. Dynamite! Welcome to a dynamite discussion about politics, patriotism, and people. Welcome to a conversation with a man who is a guardian of our democracy, a sentinel for our freedoms, a keeper of the flame. If America were a religion, veterans would be the clergy, especially our beloved, treasured, greatest generation, our World War II veterans. And if veterans are the clergy, Norman is like the Pope or the rabbi or the Buddha. He is the most learned among us and the one who can teach us the most. We're all just trying to keep our head above water right now, scratching and surviving. And Norman's going to help us through it, because he's seen just about all of it. Welcome to a conversation about life with a leader who has lived one of the richest lives of anyone in America. A leader who, at 98 years young, is not stopping now. He's fighting harder than ever before, and he'll inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 69. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe, every episode, we have a conversation with an important inspiring, iconic American. And I don't know if there is a more important, iconic, inspiring American than the great, fantastic, noble, wise Norman Lear. I am so honored to know him. I am privileged to have been around him for almost two decades now. And I am elated that on his birthday week, he can join us here on Angry Americans. Happy birthday and welcome, Norman. Thank you so much. I had no idea I was all of that in your eyes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm starting our interview with a mask on because I, 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 I value you so much as an American. I'm going to take it off now. I value you so much as an American and you are such a national treasure that I want the absolute and total risk of getting you sick to be zero. Even though we are on opposite coasts, I thought it appropriate to at least encourage the use of masks around all people, but especially around a national treasure like Norman Lear. Right. 
Uh, well, I loved it, and I think you look great in a mask. It acts your eyes, and therein lies your soul. It ain't bad. Do you have a Do you have a mask to to, uh, to match your trademark hat, Norman? I do. It sounds serious on the kitchen table. I love it because I, I feel like as long as I've known you, you've had uh, a version of the hat you're wearing today that has oh, become. Are you asking about the hat? I mean, both. Yes. Like, I think it's a matching set now, right? <laughs> the mask is downstairs. I do have a second hat, I confess. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I am so thrilled you could join us. I want to get you called me last week and said we have to talk. And I want to get to that in a second. But I am privileged to have known you since I started this work. You were one of the first really influential people who reached out to me, uh, taught me, coached me, supported me, most of all by your example. And being around you has been a tremendous honor. And to have you on Angry Americans now at this moment in history is, is, is an even deeper honor. But I have to start by asking you what I ask everyone since the pandemic started. Where are you, Norman? And how are you? How have you been doing through all this? I am uh, in my home in Los Angeles. Uh, I have not ventured out in, I don't know how long, it's a, a couple, three months. I'm a uh, content and happy fellow, but terribly upset about what's going on in our country and this pandemic, uh, and can't bear the idea that I am uh, basically as lovely as my home is, I'm imprisoned. Mm. <laughs> and that's a that's a terrible feeling. Well, I know that you have made the most of that time in a in, in a in a feeling of prison, as you always do. You found a way to make an impact and create and fight. Um, but I also have to ask you some of the questions I ask of all of our guests that help us get an insight into who you are. Norman Lear, what is your drink or cocktail of choice? My cocktail of choice is the Bloody Mary. Uh, Tito's Vodka is the brand I like, and VA uh, uh, Juice. I love it. And why, why do you like that drink so much, Norman? I like the taste of it. I like the result. Uh, I'm not anybody. I've probably been drunk two or three times in my life. Really? As a younger fellow. Uh, but I enjoy being a little bit high, if that's the correct word. But, you know, I don't think I'd enjoy the, uh, the high if I wasn't sure I have experienced it without the vodka. Mm. I mean, life is a high. So knowing that I was going to talk to you, Paul, today, that's a high. And it was a high last night as I thought about it going to bed. I'm, I'm humbled by that. And I want you to know that in this pandemic, I got word that you do prefer Bloody Marys. Normally, we would meet in person and share a drink and have this conversation. But now in pandemic, we have to do it from afar. So I made maybe the world's shittiest Bloody Mary from what I had in my kitchen. And I managed to have celery because my kids like to feed it to any animals they can find here in our undisclosed looking. So I have a Bloody Mary and I felt I must try to create one and, and toast you, Norman. So I'm raising a glass to you. Do you have a, is there a Norman Lear toast? You've experienced so much. You've been in you know, the halls of power around the country and around the world. Do you have a toast, a go-to toast, Norman? You know what you have reminded me of? I can't believe it. My toast is, a, you know, I toast, and then I, I'm thinking of what that toast is. Mm -hmm. 
to whoever is around the table. And I say I will not speak it, but you're all covered. I, I just don't speak the words, but I think them and mean them. And, but what you have reminded me of that I haven't thought of in 105 years <laughs> is the toast my father used to make at my mother's expense. She would say, Herman, please don't. No, I don't want that. Don't. And he would make it anyway. And his toast was, God, I've never said this publicly. <laughs> his toast was, here's to a creature God did design. Blooms every month and blossoms in nine. It's the only creature this side of hell can get juice out of nuts without cracking the shell. <laughs> that would embarrass my mother. Oh. He would do it anyway. <laughs> that, is, that is a toast that takes us through so many things, Norman. <laughs> and I will raise a glass to, to anything, but most of all to you and, and to the wisdom that you share that I know you'll share throughout this conversation. So I'm raising a glass to you. And in your soon-to-be 98 years, Norman. What? Is it, it's, you're soon-to-be 98, correct? Is that, holy shit, I can't. <laughs> yes, soon-to-be 98. Well, my Aunt Angie is 103, so she's got you by five years. I we, love, love knowing <laughs> We celebrated her birthday a couple weeks ago. Listeners of this show know that. But I've never had anyone on the show with your length of experience. And the other question we ask of all our guests that I'm so fascinated to hear from you. Norman Lear, what was your first car? My first car, my, my friend Sidney Pasternak and I bought a, uh, a Ford, what's that the earliest of Fords? A Model T. <laughs> we had a Model T Ford, we, for which we paid, I don't know, $39 or something, or $139, but it was very inexpensive. And uh, I will never forget, uh, uh, we, we, we did this in Hartford, Connecticut, and, uh, and decided we were going to drive through New England. Well, we never got further than Rhode Island or something because the car broke down too many times. Uh, but I'll never forget lying out in front of people's homes and, uh, in the grass under a tree in neighborhoods we'll never see again, just two 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds talking about the world we lived in. I can't make that as clear as it is or as, 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 as warm and wonderful as it was, as, as it exists in my memory. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I, I always have a follow-up question. And I'm, I don't know if, if there is even a variety of answers. Usually I ask, what color was the car? Was the Model T only in one color or did it come in multiple colors? Gosh, I don't remember. It was as close to black as could be. I figured, yeah. I figured they were probably all black. As I remember, it was black. But it, it was black, yeah. Incredible. It, that, is, that is the best first car story we've ever had in a year, over a year of this show. And I, I knew it would be fantastic. I didn't know it would be an actual Model T. That's incredible. An actual Model Well, it was a little more available when I was <laughs> a boy. 
So Norman, there's, there's a lot to get through with you, but I wanted to, to shift from that into the conversation you and I started a couple of days ago. You reached out to me and you were, you were uh, very passionate. And every time you call, I immediately pick up the phone. My family knows to stop everything. Um, and I was in the garage with my son and we started to talk and I, I explained later that, that tried to encompass your life. And I, I, I also explained to Ryder that you're the only person I know that's ever owned a copy of the Declaration of Independence. So people can understand the depth to which you are, um, you know, d- dedicated to the understanding of what this country means. You flew 52 combat missions, you know, in, in World War II, you're a decorated veteran, but you called me up and, and were really passionate. I just want to basically give you the floor and say, Norman, you know, what, what do you want people to know and think about right now? We've got to see a change in the White House. That's the first thing that rushes to mind. I don't know how to describe uh, our, uh, our leader. and the, I haven't heard the expression in the media for a long time, but, but that same leader was always called all the years I was growing up. The leader of the the leader of the free world. We don't hear that expression that much, but the president of the United States was bigger than just the president. He was the leader of the free world. And uh, I don't know how to describe who lives there now and and uh, who doesn't earn the respect that the president should earn of the American people. I, I don't find it pleasant talking about him. <laughs> but it, he, he and what's occurring out of that office and so forth deeply concerns me. And I can't wait for the next election. And uh, my prayer is what you would expect it to be. Norman, you've lived almost a century now. Has America ever been in more danger than we are now? And how do you frame up this moment in comparison to other things you've lived through? You know, when I returned from, uh, by the way, I, 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 we dropped bombs. I get credit for 52 missions because some of them were, were so long that a single mission that we got credit for two. Hmm. I, it was in a B-17 and we dropped bombs uh, 35 times. Actually, but drop bombs 35 times. Got credit for 52 missions. I use the larger figure because I'm an American. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when I came back from the service, you know, some months into my, after my return or maybe as, as much as a year, I began to be concerned. We, we were the good guys, you know. That was the war in which we were clearly... The good guys, the bad guys were very clear. And we were clearly in everybody's eyes around the world, the good guys. It's been a little muddied in wars since uh, as to who were and whether they were good guys. I remember thinking we were the good guys and, and God bless America. I just so loved everything I knew about us, felt about us. But I remember thinking uh, some months later, are we beginning to take ourselves too seriously? Mm. Are we beginning to make more of just the good guys, like suddenly we're God's chosen? 
and uh, maybe the human of the species that God's chosen, uh, or maybe it's your pet. Hmm. But uh, but certainly, you know, no country was God's chosen country. And I've seen, I've, you know, I think over the years we have taken ourselves too seriously and 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 believed too much hmm. that God was on our side, or or was even taking sides. Hmm. And now, Norman, with 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 this situation, do you feel? Um, I I don't know how you even compare it, but you know, you were a young man in a bomber, you know, fighting the Nazis externally. Now we're fighting forces internally. Um, and we were fighting those forces a long time ago. Yeah. A long time ago. You know, uh, there's an organization called People for the American Way. Just got a new leader, by the way. Yeah. Ben Jealous. I'm trying to, I'm, I can't find the words to express how grateful I am for the fact that there's a Ben Jealous in our lives now, who has replaced the glorious guy who led us through all of these years preceding. And uh, I don't know, I've just, I think about how much we need a people for the American way and an NAACP and, and the, uh, all, all of those organizations. Hmm. Because uh, there are elements out of the right, the far right, and the religious right, and the, that are coming alive again. And, and not that they've ever been gone, but alive in a kind of meteoric fashion that is scary. Mm. I've I've been honored to have been as a friend for over a decade now, and I've been around your team. At people for the American Way and Michael and everyone else and the work you do, I think is is has been absolutely critical. You know, you've created you created that organization. You've created and supported so many organizations and candidates. You've been you've been in the fights, out in front and behind the scenes. Um, you've hosted dinners at your home for veterans. You know, no cameras, nobody knows. You and your family opening your doors to us to bring veterans together to share your stories. You 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 called me to talk about the Russian bounty issue. Can you share your thoughts on that specifically, please, Norman? Well, I can't believe as we talk and I look at you across the miles that I'm living at a time when another country has offered money for, any, for dead Americans, a bounty on the head of dead Americans. And I don't recall hearing the uh, inhabitant of my White House, my White House as a citizen of the United States, my president, where has he been on this issue? That another country is offering to pay money to see a dead American soldier that I, I don't have the words it's what that does. I called, when I called you, I said, I'm 98 years old. This is driving me crazy. What can I do? Hmm. You know, I'll get on a plane. I'll, <laughs> I'll pick it out. But that, and I'm, a, I'm surprised that we've made so little of that fact. Hmm. 
mean, I would think that people would be in the streets, angry, protesting, protesting the White House. That it could be a matter of fact that our president doesn't seem to care, has never said a word about caring that another uh, a foreign country would pay money to see a dead American soldier. I think it's, it, there's, it's, it's at this moment in time, Norman, you know, the, right now mothers are lining up in Portland to, to serve as barriers uh, for, for protesters. World War II veterans like you are stepping forward. I mean, there are these maybe backstops of our democracy, the guardians of our democracy that, that I think transcend, um, transcend generation, transcend political affiliation, you know, those voices of conscience that ring out. And that's why I wanted to, to get you on the show now to hear your voice. And so that especially a younger generation that maybe isn't familiar with your work or people who, you know, have never seen eye to eye with you politically, I think now is a time where they understand the, the power of your experience and, and your wisdom. Um, but also, you know, this is Angry Americans. We, we, we created the show to express the righteous anger. I say all the time, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And, and that anger can be a motivator if it's turned into something positive, um, then we're on the right course. If, if not, someone like Trump can manipulate it and turn it into the negative. But the question I ask of all our guests, and, and I ask of you now, Norman, is Norman Lear, what makes you angry? <laughs> Other than the things we've talked about already. <laughs> What makes me angry is picking up the newspaper in the morning. <laughs> yeah. It's listening to the news as I go to bed at night. What makes me angry is a, uh, what, what makes me angriest right now is a, is a president who doesn't seem to care. Mm. He's like, never spoken a word, uh, not a word about how much he cares uh, about the average American family. And, uh, I, I, I don't know. It, uh, I find myself tongue-tied, mentally tied <laughs> when I think about it because it just doesn't seem possible, but is. Mm. Well, the question I want to ask you. Go ahead. Do your uh, viewers and listeners, are you assuming that they know uh, what I've been up to in my life? Did they know it all in the family and Maude and uh, the good, good times and the Jeffersons, et cetera, et cetera? I, I will do an intro that, that lays that out, but I would love for you to share, you know, especially at this moment in time where you've been uh, so important in shaping the national understanding around politics, class, race, family, all of these things are now intersecting and changing. I, I, that was actually, you read my mind. That was going to be my next question was to ask you about, uh, you know, as a creator of so many of those things that shaped the cultural understanding, the fabric of our, of our culture, um, what, what do you think of, of that part of this moment right now? The Black Lives Matter, uh, the, 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 the racial injustice, um, the change that is happening, the change that needs to happen. I mean, you created the Jeffersons 40 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was, a long time ago. Um, and you, yeah, and you, you were breaking ground then. So what, what are your thoughts and, and reflections on this moment, Norman, given that experience? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that. For me. I'm, we have so much more to do. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and we need leadership. You know, I have, I, I, I bet I wrote 
four, maybe five presidents over the years and said, you're a good deal younger than I am, especially, you know, Kennedy and so forth. Uh, but I need a father in the White House. Mm. I'm cool. I, know, I know from the bottom of my heart, I need to feel there's a father in the White House. And in his age, doesn't matter. Uh, and we haven't had it. We don't have that leadership now. And we desperately need it. Mm. It, 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 it. It's hard to specify what those needs are. But the feeling that there is leadership, that there is a father in the White House, mm. uh, is so important to uh, this democracy. Mm. Without that father in the White House, I feel like we're, we're right now dependent upon America to have kind of the community take care of our child and other fathers and grandfathers and uncles and aunts. And, you know, you're, you're kind of one of them, right? Like you're an elder statesman. You're an elder in the best sense of the word. You were, you know, honored at the Kennedy Center for your career. You've been honored so many times, but you've also seen all the presidents. You've seen all the candidates as we look forward. And now Biden is the nominee. What, what, do you, what do you think about the race uh, and what do you think about Biden and, and the next couple of months ahead? I pray for, uh, you know, that the next uh, family living in the White House are the Bidens. That's, uh, it can't matter more, in, in my opinion, hmm. as much because it'll be, uh, uh, the, the current inhabitant will be elsewhere, hmm. at Mar-a-Lago, and, uh, uh, and a reasonable uh, leader will be in the White House. Hmm. And I, I, you've been influential in politics for a long time. I, I hope they're calling you for your counsel on many things. Do you have a preference? I haven't who- had a telephone call about <laughs> counsel <laughs> in several years. That says something. I mean, I've been as critical of the Democrats lately as, as I've been in the Republicans. And if they're not calling you, they're wrong. But as they think about the vice presidential nominee, who would you like to see Biden pick and, and why, Norman? Well, I'm crazy about uh, Stacey mm. and uh, Stacey Abrams. I just love, love the figure she cuts and the things she says and the way she says them. I love her, what I think to be her heart and soul. But there's, you know, a Susan Rice is a, is a reasonable job. Uh, Kamala Harris is also out there from California. You've probably been around her long before folks saw her on the national radar, right? Yes, and I respect and admire her enormously. Kamala Harris, certainly. Are there other, you, again, you've seen all these leaders. You mentioned Stacey Abrams. You know, folks are hopeful about Pete Buttigieg and, and some of this newer generation of folks that are coming up. Um, you know, you're, you're passing the torch in many ways. You know, are there other leaders or causes or even artists that give you hope about um, the, the next generation of leaders coming forward, Norman? Yeah, yes. No, my, my general feeling is as a search of new leadership, youth coming forward. What's his name, the head of the uh, AARP now? I don't know, to be honest with you. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Uh, uh, but very impressive. And I, I know him well. I'm, this is 98. <laughs> and uh, 
my feeling is there's a wealth of new young talent just emerging and uh and I want to throw up a window and, and say, take us. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for you. Take us. They, they should all be, be putting you on speed dial for your counsel. I mean, especially, Norman, because you understand, you know, the feel of the American people, right? You understand that kind of gut, visceral uh, read that the American people have on, you know, culture and music and entertainment and politics, which has never been more intertwined with this guy in the White House than it, than it is right now. Um, but you always bring positivity. You continue to innovate, you know, the iterations of All in the Family and how you're continuing to create and, and drive a conversation, you know, in your 98th year, I think is inspiring to everyone. Are you watching One Day at a Time? I'm sorry, One Day at a Time. Thank you. Thank you. That, there's my, there's my memory going, but thank you. Do you want, can you talk for a minute about One Day at a Time and why that was so important to you? Well, One Day at a Time, uh, you know, existed. It was 40 years ago, you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but we were in the fourth year of a uh, uh, Latino version of One Day at a Time with Rita Moreno and Justina Machado, and uh, two very terrific uh, showrunners, Gloria Calderon Collette and uh, Mike Royce. Uh, I couldn't be prouder of the show. And mm. it sickens me that we're not in production now mm. for reasons uh, that uh, involve us all. Mm. So, so the other question, sorry, go ahead, Norman. I, I was just going to say, this is one of the, this is the most unusual time in my life. Mm. Yeah, I, I often think I've worked all my life in an industry that relies on its imagination. All of this community relies on their individual imaginations. <clears throat> and none of us imagined what is occurring now in our culture. Mm. This is the most unusual time in my life. Mm. Yeah, I, I often think I've worked all my life in an industry that relies on its imagination all of this community relies on their individual imaginations. <clears throat> and none of us imagined what is occurring now in our culture. Mm. Mm. I will not be leaving the house today at all, and nobody will be coming over today. And that's for reasons of life and death reasons. Right. Unimaginable. Well, I think that at least we'll be able to get you through a podcast and through Zoom and to project your wisdom. And I think anyone who's ever been around you, Norman, feels an, an aura of positivity. And one of the other questions I ask of, of all of our guests is, um, is, is pretty straightforward, but I think maybe can be helpful to times to folks, especially in times like this. Norman Lear, what makes you happy? Yeah, reflexively, this conversation makes me happy. Mm. I, I, you know, there are two little words that we don't pay enough attention to. Over and next. Mm. When something is over, it is over. And we are on to next. But if there was a hammock in the middle between those two words, it would, that would be the best definition I have of living in the moment. Mm. And this is my moment right now, and your moment. 
So I don't know a better, I, I don't know an answer I feel more keenly than this is the moment. Mm. I was going to ask you to share over and next because you gave me that advice once and it might be the best advice I've ever gotten, especially in, in moments like this um, when things can feel overwhelming for people, whether they're you know, movie producers or just trying to get by um, driving a truck. You know, over and next has been, I keep going back to it, Norman, and I wanted a chance to tell you that today. Oh, I, I love hearing that. Just it's been I, I can't tell you how many other people I've told. Norman Lear has advice, and he says, when you're thinking about it, over and next. It's like people probably are going to get me a T-shirt because I say it so often, and I attribute it to you because it's so – it's served me well. It, it really has. It, it's helped me tremendously, and I think um, all of your guidance – It's helped me tremendously, too. I mean, it's, it occurred to me because that's the way I was living. Hmm. Norman, are there, are there any other lessons that you've, you, you would share at this point after doing so much and living so long and having such an impact for folks that are maybe younger in their journey or going through a tough time? Um, what's your counsel to them? Um, you know, over and next, I think, is a perfectly insightful example of, of the Norman Lear wisdom. But is there any other counsel or advice you'd give folks who are uh, in the yes, struggle? I love this. I think it was Greater uh, who said, well, there were two things. I don't remember who said this. Each man is my superior in that I may learn from him. Love that. Believe that. It, I, 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 when I say that, I think about this moment in my life. After flying the missions, I volunteered to stay over in Europe and, and ferry, help ferry men and supplies across, you know, uh, Europe and, and, the, and the Middle East. And uh, one mission, uh, one ferrying mission, uh, got us to uh, uh, Cairo, to Egypt. And, uh, and I'm at the pyramids with my crew, the whole, all of us. And, uh, and there's a guide that's going to take us into the pyramid to tell us how many slaves and how many bricks and all, you know, what the pyramid, how it came about. But there was a fellow, an Egyptian holding the reins to two camels for a quarter or something you could get on a camel. I have your picture, take them. But he spoke a little English. So I had the choice of going into the pyramids to hear the guide tell us how many bricks and slaves, etc., where the crew was going, or hang out with the guy holding the camels. And I held out, and I, I stayed with the guy holding the camel, and had the most one, but this came out of it. He told me this in his words, and then later I read someplace, many years later, uh, and the same truth came out in these words. And that was, a man should have a garment with two pockets. In the first pocket should be a piece of paper on which is written, I am but dust and ashes. In the second pocket, a piece of paper on which is written, for me, the world was created. Mm. Love that. Mm. Love that. I 
I don't think about it every morning, but so often I think when I open my eyes, if I didn't open my eyes, I wouldn't be here. If you didn't open your eyes this morning, all of this would not exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I love that. I, I am so grateful for you sharing that and to hear your laugh and to hear your wisdom. Um, Norman, is there anything else you want to share? I, I, I have gifts for you, so we will end with gifts, but I want to just I ask love, you. Is that car a gift? It's a 69 Camaro SS. And, and is that one of the gifts? Uh, for you, Norman, you got it. <laughs> if anyone was going to have the car, it would be you, my friend. <laughs> I'm going to pick it up. The, the car still needs a name. We've had an ongoing conversation about what to name the car, and we've come up empty so far. Um, Gladys. Gladys. I love that. I think that's perfect. <laughs> if only because you picked it, it's perfect. <laughs> It looks like a, a Gladys. <laughs> it has to happen. Okay, Norman, I have some quick gifts. I would normally give them to you in person. I will send them through a sanitizing process and have them delivered at some point. But first, I've got an Angry Americans uh, gear for you, T-shirts, very comfortable, made by veterans uh, in, in America. Um, I've also got a bottle. Uh, you can mix it with your... Uh, with, with, with anything you want, frankly, but especially your Bloody Mary. I don't know if you, at your age, you can do whatever you want. Um, but it's an Uncle Nearest whiskey. The great Jeffrey Wright introduced us to this. And Nearest Green was the, uh, was, was the African-American whiskey master who taught Jack Daniels how to make whiskey. There's a great backstory that if you don't know it, you'll love it. But we got a bottle of that coming your way. Um, you are the master storyteller, so I got to give you a, a whiskey with stories. And then this is a part of our tradition on the show. It's a little bit unique, but we normally do this in person. We have three colors of the Easter candy peeps. And I ask every guest, if you had to pick a color to eat, yellow, blue, or pink, what color would you choose and why, Norman? I would choose the blue. Because blue is... Uh, I haven't thought about having a favorite color, but if I... Thinking about it now, it might be blue. Mm. But I would certainly I rush to say blue among the three of those. <laughs> well, if we had, if I had a favorite American, it would probably be you. Oh. I re I really mean it, man. I am I am so honored and grateful to have spent time with you, to have been taught by you, have to have been around you, to have been around your team. Oh, you, you, I have to share this. I do. You inspire and excite me the same way. I love everything about, I mean, does your audience, the current audience know you used to run the Iraq Veterans Organization? They do. They do. They, well, they do now. If they don't, if they're new folks, now they know. <laughs> and you've been a tremendous supporter. You were a board member. You were an honoree. I mean, you, you know, it's important too, Norman, that when we first started out, a lot of the older vets said, ah, why do you need another new veterans group? Why do you need it? And you were one of the first folks to step up uh, at a time, too. You know, now Hollywood is telling stories about veterans. It's become popular. But uh, at that time, 2004, 2005, a lot of folks, in my experience, didn't know you had served in World War II. They weren't interested in really talking about veterans. Everything had been so politicized. And you 
you were a huge reason why they accepted us. You know, you, if they said, hey, this guy is coming because Norman Lear recommended him or Norman Lear supports him, you know, you opened a lot of doors for us and oh, helped a lot of people in a way it wouldn't have happened otherwise. I couldn't be prouder of anything. Well. And I love talking to you and, uh, and uh, it's fair to say I love you. Well, I love you, and America loves you, and our audience loves you, and we want to wish you a very, very happy birthday. I think that the next president should make Norman Lear's birthday a national holiday, and everybody should get a 69 Camaro. All right. If we could do that, I'm up for it. It'll be a lot of fun and a jobs program at the same time, so it'll have a double bottom line, and everyone will be happy. Love to your family on the other side of that garage. My, th- my deepest thanks to you, the great and powerful Norman Lear. We love you, my friend. Happy birthday. Stay Thank frosty. You. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. There's plenty of reason to be angry. Now for everyone everywhere. But there's also a way to turn it, a way to channel it, a way to harness it, and a way to make an impact. Just like Norman has done throughout his life and will continue to do in all his work till his final days. And it's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony into positive impact, just like Norman Lear. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I offer a way to convert your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. It channels your energy, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: Integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. In this episode, I want you to check out the organization that Norman founded, People for the American Way. It's pfaw.org or pfaw.org. People for the American Way is a progressive advocacy organization, but I think whether you're a progressive or not, you should check it out. I'm an independent, and it's a mission that I can still get behind because their mission is to fight right-wing extremism and build a democratic society that implements the ideals of freedom, equality, opportunity, and justice for all. They push for civic participation, defend fundamental rights, and fight to dismantle systemic barriers to equitable opportunity. They're an important shield against the very right-wing extremism that we're all up against. Republicans, Democrats, independents, or whatever party, or no party at all. So check out People for the American Way. It's founded by Norman, and it's dedicated to making the promise of America real for every American. And check out Enough of Trump, which is one of their campaigns that I think everybody can get behind. Go to enoughoftrump.org or pfaw.org. They are now led by the former head of the NAACP, my friend, and another great American, Ben Jealous. Go to pfaw.org and check them out. Don't just be angry. 
be active. If you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media, use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Thank you to all of you who've been taking action. Don't stop now. Don't just be angry, be active. And I want to actively thank a few folks who have made this episode happen. It's been a big one. And most of all, I want to thank Norman Lear. I am so incredibly humbled to have known Norman and to be around him and to have him join me on my show. So my thanks to Norman. Thank you, Norman. And happy birthday. I want to thank his amazing wife, Lynn, and Liana, Cindy, Brent, and his entire team on the entire crew that makes the Norman Lear operation possible. Watch his shows. Watch all of them. Go back and watch the old ones. You'll really appreciate how groundbreaking they were. And especially watch the new One Day at a Time. One Day at a Time was listed as one of the best television shows of 2017, with lots of critics naming it as one of its top 10 shows of the year. And read his amazing memoir. Even this I get to experience. If you're looking for a great pandemic book, a great summer book, check out Even This I Get to Experience by Norman Lear. Booklist said flat out one of the best Hollywood memoirs ever written. An absolute treasure. Norman Lear, you are an absolute treasure. We love you. We appreciate you. And happy birthday. Thanks also to the whole Righteous Media team. Righteous Media powers angry Americans and everything we do. And Righteous Media is powered by people. People like Mighty Mercy Rich, Creative Chris Rosenthal, Badass Bill Schultz, and our friends at Uncle Nearest, the best whiskey in America. Check out UncleNearest.com. Order some now. It is absolutely fantastic. You've heard about it on this show, and they are supporters of everything we do. Check out Uncle Nearest. Also, big thanks to our vigilant Patreon members, all of you out there that have been supporting us in the Patreon community. I appreciate all of you. I hope you got the special video this week, and you continue to get behind-the-scenes access, and you support this show. So thank you for being there for us. If you want to join our Patreon community, find us on Patreon, or look for the link here, wherever you found this pod, or Angry America. Americans.us. I am grateful to you. It's time to thank a couple listeners every week. I thank a few angry Americans just for listening and like as if you were on a Norman Lear show. I'll make you famous. Yes, we will make you famous. So tweet, call, post on social, and we will do our best to make you famous in a good way. Not like Ted Cruz. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. Big thanks to Timothy Fox out in Delaware, Ohio. He loved the last pod with Mike Shinoda. He loved it. He said, great pod, Paul, especially like the close with Blue on Black. I was really psyched to play that song and really incredible to have Mike Shinoda on the show. Uh, and thanks to Shelly Swearingen, who is in Goshen, Ohio, which is northeast of Cincinnati. She said there were several parts of the Paul Rykoff Angry Americans amazing episode, especially listening to the interview with Mike Shinoda that I cried. You have to watch or listen to this one, hashtag Lincoln Park, hashtag Mike Shinoda. And folks, if you haven't seen it on social or you haven't been around for the last week, maybe Trump listens to this show after all. Because right after our last episode dropped, just 48 hours later, a Trump re-election campaign video soundtracked with a rendition of Lincoln Park's In the End was posted. Trump's team posted a soundtrack with a Lincoln Park song in it. 
and it was quickly pulled down by Twitter after the band filed a copyright takedown notice demanding its removal. So right after Mike was on this show, Linkin Park confirmed that it had taken action to remove the video, and they tweeted, Linkin Park did not and does not endorse Trump, nor authorize his organization to use any of our music. A cease and desist has been issued. That's what the group said in a statement. So if you go to check out the video on Twitter, a message will now read, this media has been disabled in response to a report by copyright owner. Linkin Park 1, President Mayhem 0. You guys heard Mike's thoughts in this show. If you haven't, go back and check out the last episode. And Chester Bennington, who we lost a few years ago, had also been strongly anti-Trump. A few months before his death, Chester had tweeted, I repeat, Trump is a greater threat to the USA than terrorism. We have to take back our voices and stand for what we believe in. That's what Chester was all about, and that's what the band is all about, and it's awesome to see them standing up. Trump and his campaign have been subject to frequent objections from artists demanding they stop using their music in his ads or his rallies. It includes the Rolling Stones, Neil Young, Panic at the Disco, Pharrell Williams, R.E.M., Aerosmith, Adele, The Village People, and Tom Petty. So that would be a hell of a show if we could get them all together. Mike, maybe Mark Roberge, Henry Rollins. Let's look it up. That would be a hell of an Angry Americans virtual tour, but let's make it happen. You also may remember last year we covered when Twitter removed Trump's video that sampled Nickelback's photograph after Warner Music Group complained about that. So let's throw Nickelback in the mix, too. It'll be a hell of a show. But my thanks to all of you and my thanks especially to Mike Shinoda and Linkin Park and the entire team and to all of you that are new to the show after hearing that episode. Welcome. I hope you'll stick around. We like it and we love it. Please keep the feedback coming and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and sound off. We're grateful to all of you, and especially my family, my amazing wife and two boys. There is big news in our house this week. Go look at him, buddy. I saw him. I saw one. The eggs have hatched. If you're new here, this is the second crop of three robin's eggs outside of our kitchen window. And this week, they hatched. We have chicks again. Three more chicks are outside the window, in the nest, the same nest as the ones before. And as an added bonus, as I was recording this show in my car, which has the best pandemic acoustics, a baby deer walked up out of the woods to the front of the car. About six feet away from where I'm talking to you right now, a baby deer walked out. And then my kids walked out. But we are trying our best to enjoy the summer. My son turns five next month. He's learning addition and subtraction. And the baby is saying a new word just about every day. Words like pizza and car. And his favorite word of all, whoa. So they're continuing to bring the light. And I hope you can too. Please continue to tell your friends to check out this podcast. If you're on an Apple device, leave the show a quick review and subscribe now. It's absolutely free, it costs you nothing, and you can have it hot and waiting for you every Thursday. Lots more great guests coming up all summer long, and some exclusives that you won't find anywhere else. We're going to continue to rock the charts around the world and bring you the most independent news, politics, and culture anywhere in America. Keep the feedback coming on social. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. Go to angryamericans.us and sign up for our newsletter. You can guess the guest every Wednesday on social media as well. And we'll continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome. Stay tuned. Subscribe for free and share. And we will keep this movement growing week by week by week. And have a good time. If you're head up, I wanna-
Keeping your head above water, making a wave when you can. That's what it's all about, people, especially in times like this. Nobody did it better than the great John Lewis, the civil rights icon and a true American hero. When I heard the news this week, I was devastated. I know many of you were as well. He was a giant and maybe the single finest man I've ever met. It was a huge loss, especially now. It's a chance for all to recognize his story and to share it, especially with the young people. Back in episode 16 with Soledad O'Brien, one you should check out anyway, I talked about the inspiration of heroes named Lewis, and I told the story of John Lewis. I also talked to Soledad O'Brien about Trump the racist, why Senator Rand Paul sucks, and Fireball Whiskey, and Riding Horses. It's a really important episode on race, and one you should check out that we're really proud of. Episode 16 with Soledad O'Brien, but I told the story of John Lewis. And I told you to check out his incredible graphic novel, March. If you want to introduce John Lewis to kids, especially during the pandemic, if you're looking for a great gift for young people, check out March. It's a groundbreaking trilogy in an autobiographical black and white graphic novel about the civil rights movement told through the perspective of John Lewis. In 2011, the great John Lewis took time to visit with and educate my best friend Todd Sutler's fifth grade class from the Community Roots School when they were in D.C. And I met him for the first time backstage at the Rachel Maddow Show when he was there to promote his graphic novel, Rise. It was August 6, 2016. It was a day I'll never forget. I got to share a few minutes with him and I got to be around him. He's what it's all about, people. And his message is one we can take with us always. Be kind, be hopeful, be optimistic, never get down. It's all going to be okay. All going to be all right. We're one people. We're one family. We all live in the same house. Not just American house, but the world house. I wish you well. John Lewis was the best kind of angry American. And his message can carry us forward. And it's okay to be angry, especially now. Know that you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention, just like Norman Lear and just like John Lewis. We can fight on and we can have some good times. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant out there, America. Please wear a mask. Do it for Norman and stay frosty. Temporary layoffs. Good time.